are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, C.C. Broadus. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm C.C. Broadus. Joined by Alan Schneider. Hello, everyone. And Brandon Jaggers. It's freezing in Louisville, Kentucky. It certainly is. <laughs> that That is a fact. But uh, tonight we're going to head somewhere a little bit warmer, hopefully. Uh, we've got a special guest for us uh, tonight on the podcast. Uh, and I'm going to try to do her justice right now. Uh, you know, like uh, many of our guests on the pod uh Racing was in her blood as well. She's the third generation of her family to be involved in the sport of Kings, starting at a young age as the stall superintendent at the legendary Hollywood Park. During that time, she became an on-air analyst for TVG and now splits her year between Indiana Grand Racetrack and Oaklawn Park in Hot Springs, Arkansas, where she is right now, where she serves as the host of its simulcast feed. But above all, including her very impressive resume of accomplishments. She just seems like a really nice person. So we're going to put that to the test this evening <laughs> as we introduce Nancy Yuri Holthus to the Auxiliary Gate podcast. Nancy, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Somebody did their homework. Yeah, we try. <laughs> Sometimes we fail, but hopefully we got that one right. But uh, Nancy, how, how's the weather in Hot Springs? You know, it was absolutely gorgeous today. Um, I think the weather is supposed to get a little bit cooler, but we have been very fortunate this meet so far, knock on wood. So, yeah, it's absolutely a beautiful day. We've been really lucky to have really pretty dark days. <laughs> so I'll say that. <laughs> I can imagine. Let's uh, First, let's talk about uh, the stakes action at Oakland already. Uh, it's it's had some pretty interesting days. I want to talk about Cato River, who was super impressive winning the uh, Smarty Jones on opening day. Uh, in your mind, how serious of a Kentucky Derby prospect is Cato River? Well, actually, it's Cato. It is actually named for uh, the Cato River. Uh, John Ned Anthony of Shortleaf has notoriously named uh, some of his horses for Arkansas landmarks. You remember Temperance Hill, Pine Bluff. Uh, those are very prominent places in Arkansas. Um, so Cato River, yes, super impressive. Uh, and obviously, Florent was sitting under a lot of horsepower, no pun intended, um, more than 10 lengths in margin. Um, but I don't really know how much he was tested, so to speak, in that Smarty Jones. I mean, it was a, a, a somewhat small of a field, never really asked, so to speak. So I'm not sure what their plans are if he is going to run back in the Southwest. And if he does, he will definitely uh, be tested. And he is going to have to step up because there are some big, big names already headed for that specific race. Well, we're going to talk about that in just a second. I, I don't know for sure. I thought I heard that they were going to try to point him toward the Rebel Stakes in mid-March, but I, I don't know that for a fact. Uh, Nancy, how cool would it be for uh, someone like John Ed Anthony, uh, uh, an Arkansas guy, to win a Kentucky Derby? You know what? It, 
it would almost be the icing on the cake because he he just won his first Smarty Jones. He's won multiple Southwest, multiple Rebels, multiple uh, Arkansas Derbies. So to see somebody that has had the prominence in the sport uh, and be so supportive, not only on the racing side, but also on the breeding side, it really would be fantastic. I mean, Pine Bluff was just such a major, major horse, as was Temperance Hill. Um, And he's kind of been... Um, you know, not as prominent, so to say, uh, in the peaks of the racing world in the last couple of years. So it really would be special uh, to to see that. And I know the last week or so, um, John Ed's son and all the grandkids have really been out supporting racing. You see him down in the paddock. You've seen him in the winner's circle. Um, so it's it's cool to see that, you know, racing really is that multi-generational sport that they uh, that they've supported. Yeah, he had quite the run in the late 80s and early 90s. I remember going back to Demons Beyond. He, I think he swept all of those three-year-old stakes races going in the Kentucky Derby. Then he had uh, Prairie Bayou and Pine Bluff. Yeah, those. Uh, he had a really, really nice run there. So it's it's good to see him back, and I, I, I hope he does well with uh, Cato River. So let's talk about the Southwest Stakes, and that's on February 15th, roughly two weeks from, from tonight. And it looks like it's going to be a rematch of uh, some of the top contenders in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile with the essential quality from the Brad Cox Barn for Godolphin and Jackie's Warrior for Steve Asmussen and keep me in mind from uh, the Robertino Deodoro Barn. Uh, any any early thoughts on this race? Well, I'm super excited that, you know, we're already getting some prominent names uh, that had pointed towards the Southwest even before the start of 2021. Um, and with that being said, you know, we haven't even heard anything from any of the California camps, if they're going to be sending anything, but super excited to see essential quality. Keep me in mind, um, really keeping tabs on these barns for, uh, when they send their, their really nice horses out to breeze in the mornings. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Steve Asmussen has one, two, or three in there, as he's known to do for the three-year-old campaign here. Um, but, you know, I'm really not surprised to see that we're having fairly smaller fields, uh, you know, for these three-year-olds. We only had a, a six-horse field for the Martha Washington, which is the prep for the Kentucky Oaks. Um, and I'm not sure if it's because of the Lasix, um, but it, it is interesting to see. And I wouldn't be surprised that if they don't get out of the traditional starting gate for the Kentucky Derby this year, but that's that's my personal opinion. Uh, this is a dumb question. I, I probably should have done my research on this. Can can a horse run on Lasix in in some of these three year old races, or the, or are they are they banned from using Lasix at all? You, you know any, what I'm saying? If, yeah, any of the Kentucky Derby qualifying point races, there is no Lasix. Okay. So like the Smarty Jones, if they ran on it earlier in the year. They could not run on it in the Smarty Jones. They cannot run it on the Southwest. Even if they had run on, say, uh, an allowance race in January, they cannot use Lasix in the Southwest. The Rebel, the Arkansas Derby. Horses didn't run on it in the LeCompte down at the fairgrounds. So if there are points on the line towards the starting gate in the Kentucky Derby, any of those races offering qualifying points, and I should include the Oaks in that because it's the same. Lasix is not allowed. I got you. Okay. Loud and clear. So uh, 
let's transition away from racing or well from uh, from oakland for a minute let's talk about your career uh, let's rewind the clock i want to talk about your days as a stall superintendent at hollywood park uh during my my research I, it seems like you you took that job at, at a fairly young age is that right uh, i i did um and actually i'd been on the track for quite some time before i took that job i'd worked in racing offices uh in chicago my first job was as a racing official i was 19 uh at a race at a track in Birmingham, Alabama, which no longer exists. A lot of people didn't realize that there was thoroughbred racing in Alabama. Um, you youngsters, you know, so, but yeah, there was a really cool track. In I remember, I remember. Do you? Yeah. Yes. I'm fit. They had really good fried chicken in the grandstand. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So first of all, tell us exactly what a stall superintendent does. Well, uh, I was fortunate enough to be, uh, I, I just say stall man to be the stall man at Hollywood Park and had a list of who's who uh, stabled there. And I would have approximately 90 to 100 trainers stabled with me on a year-round basis. Uh, we could accommodate around 2,000 horses. And I also had dormitories back there. So we had roughly uh, 746 rooms and that included offices, tack rooms, and dormitories. So we had horses coming and going during live racing. And also, you know, it's almost like you're managing a, a small town, so to speak. So with people and animals coming and going and also managing uh, a, a lot to live race meets a year, it was a lot of different personalities to handle. Um, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot about not only uh, management skills, um, but I learned a lot about myself. And, you know, one of the things, one of my favorite things to do was, yeah, you know, you had some really great trainers back there. But honestly, was to walk through the shed rows in the mornings and just be on the backside. You know, I know everybody loves to go to the races and, you know, hang out and that's where all the fun is. But really being in the backside with, all of the people that, to me, really do make up the sport of horse racing. It's the hot walkers. It's the grooms. It's, you know, the people that put in from sunup to sundown the blood, the guts, and the glory. Is, it all starts back there for me. So tell me about the, like, would the trainers maybe, like, they were desperate for stalls? Would they kind of try to push you around or intimidate you a little bit? Or, or, or the, were the exact opposite? Were they, you know, nice to you, you know, buying you flowers and stuff like that? Or how did that go? <laughs> well, I did learn very quickly that if you give an inch, they will take a mile and an eighth. <laughs> um, but, um, you know what? I, I definitely earned their respect. And I'm very, very proud to say that. And I have a lot of those relationships still to this day because, ironically, you know, a lot of those California horsemen have moved this side of the United States are now mm -hmm. uh, either here with me at Oaklawn or uh, in Kentucky. And I see them when I'm in Indiana. So to be able to say that I have really good relationships with those people is something that I, I'm very proud of. Um but yeah, people, I've been called everything but a white woman in that job, um, <laughs> but I stand my ground. And I was not afraid to tell people no, but I did 
I'm proud to, also proud to say that whether a trainer had four or 40, I treated them the exact same. And that okay. was important to me. So uh, during this time when you were working for Hollywood, you started working for TVG. Uh, I remember you early on at TVG and uh, you, you were a natural at it. Uh, did you have any prior experience with anything like that? You know what? I had a little bit, actually. It's funny you ask because one of my best friends still to this day uh, runs Hawthorne. That's Jim Miller. And he and one of the gentlemen who ran the track at the time thought it would be a good idea to have a girl help co-host the replay show. And I did it for one or two seasons. And when I moved out to California, my roommate at the time was Kate and Bradar. Our dads grew up together in Palatine, Illinois. And Kate had mentioned that TVG was looking to hire some freelancers. So I put an audition tape and, you know, keep looking for something to do in my spare time and make some extra coin. So I just kind of started freelancing at TVG on my off days and sitting in the handy capsule, which was basically the size of a closet. And I was in there all by myself, you know, pulling those solo shifts, but I really did enjoy it. So it, I didn't go to college for it. I mean, I'm a fairly, I like to think I'm a fairly successful college dropout. That's what I call myself anyway. But it was just something that just came natural to me. You know, like people always said you could sell ice to an Eskimo. So I figured, you know what, I got the gift, the gab. I like to think sometimes I know what I'm talking about. So the two kind of fell hand in hand. What did you like about that job? You know what? I liked the racing from all over and just kind of connecting with the people because people would email in and you could correspond. Um, mind you, there's always people that overshare their opinions, I'll say, <laughs> in a nice way. And sometimes people can be cruel and you can't really voice your opinion to that on air. I can think it in my mind, but you can't voice it on air. Um, but it was a really good experience. And it allowed me to do what I'm doing now. So later on, uh, after your TVG years, you wound up uh, marrying Paul Holthus, who's the son of uh, legendary local trainer Bob Holthus. Uh, What's uh what's the married life to a trainer like? Is, is do you help out at the barn or, or what? How does that go? Well, how crazy is it? I spent like 10, 12 years in LA and I visit Arkansas and I wind up with like a fellow Arky. I mean that just in itself blows my mind. Um, but you almost and this sounds horrible, but race trackers get it we marry within ourselves and that's not to be incestuous because I'm from Arkansas, but <laughs> we, we get the culture. We work seven days a week. You're up early, you know, trainers read charts. They're in the condition book. Their phone is constantly ringing and we get it. You know, we can relate. Um, I do work at the, I, when I first started out, I did work at the barn and I do work at the barn in Indiana. I actually do magna wave therapy on our horses. Um, at Oaklawn, it's a little more difficult because I put in way more hours in the office. Um, but I absolutely miss 
working at the barn because we've got such a phenomenal crew that has been with Paul for years and just being with the horses and seeing all the different personalities and seeing how they progress. And uh, it, it's just really special. It's really, really special. And all the other, you know, friends that are trainers and owners coming into town, it, it's fun. But also, it, you know, just like any other job, it's it's got its highs and it's got its lows. So uh, I remember uh, Bob Holfus, he was uh, very successful back in the day, training horses like Proper Reality and uh, Lawyer Ron and, and, and Pro Prado and, and much, much more. I, what I remember most about him, he was always very proper at the track. I think he always wore a suit, it seemed like, or at least a jacket. What's, what's Paul like? Is he in relation to his dad? What, what was, what, what's the differences and similarities there? <laughs> well, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Mr. Bob multiple times when I would come home and cover the races for TVG. I, oddly enough, did not meet Paul until after his dad had passed. Um, Paul and his dad have some similarities, but they are very much different. Um, Paul is very much more laid back. Um, Paul definitely has an opinion about a lot of things. Mr. Bob was a little more straight laced, uh, and, you know, buttoned up than Paul is. Um, but one thing they both do the right thing. They both speak up for what they believe is right and what is best, not only for, uh, their family, but also for the horsemen. And I that that can I I can attest to. So he's a he's a true horseman. One hundred percent. I mean Absolutely. he's he's got an amazing. I mean obviously Mr. Bob was more well known, you know, for his really good stake horses. We have more of a claiming stable, um, and thank God Paul has a really good eye for claiming horses because that is uh, definitely been able to. Uh, put us in touch with some some other really fine people and uh given us some of the things that we've been blessed with along the way all right so we're gonna go around the table here uh let's go to alan alan do you have any questions for for nancy yeah uh nancy you're it's npk stable is that right mph stable mph stable you guys run yes and where do you where do you have your most success it seems to me like it's indiana you have a lot of success in indiana some in kentucky I remember several of you guys horses went in here uh some arkansas where where do you seem to have the best luck at you know what it's it's hard to win a race at oaklawn park to be just flat out honest with you the competition know, here is insane um we do have better success at indiana obviously that meet is way longer and we have quite a few indiana breads that paul trains for an amazing gentleman named uh gary tussie so typically around uh march those indiana breads that are on the farm they'll go into the track start training and, you know, thank goodness that, you know, the Indiana bread program at Indiana Grand is phenomenal. So, you know, you, you can't basically go to that meet and set up a stable unless you have a good handful of Indiana breads ready to go. So we learned that the hard way the first year we were up there. But 
you know, the last couple of years, we've had some really decent Indiana breads. And, uh, yeah, I would say the, the bulk of success is definitely Indiana Grand. And how does that work as an analyst? And you're on air and you've got to be somewhat impartial. But then all of a sudden you see your horse cross the finish line first at Indiana, Oakland, whatever. Uh, is it OK for you to yell and scream? And are they OK with that and get happy? Oh, I make a fool out of myself on a daily basis. That's I don't what care I if hear. it's, I don't care if it's, you know, acc- accidentally saying something on a hot mic that I did that once at Indiana Grand. I said it was hot as balls. Sorry, you gotta <laughs> that's, add that out. That's all. That's all. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, it does get hot as balls around it here. It does. And then, <laughs> and then I had to, even the stewards come out to me. How hot are balls? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. But, you know, I will make a complete (laughs) jackass out of myself, you know, if one of my horses is in the lane, you know, and oh, yeah, I will root. And it's so funny because Paul and I kind of got into it one day. He'll always ask me, did you pick my horse? I said, well, I picked your fourth. What do you mean you picked me fourth? I really like my horse today. I said, well, I like your fourth. The horse ran fourth. So I, I am very... I'm not biased. I, I'm a handicapper. I'm a handicapper first for the people. And I have to put my job hat on first. I'm my, my heart is always rooting for NPH. Don't get me wrong, but I'm going to say it like it is. I'm not a sugar coater. Again, that pisses people off sometimes, but I'm I'm, going to do my job. I'm going to do my job. Uh, well, you, you touched on some state bread stuff, and I actually wanted to ask you in particular about state bread races. We're in Kentucky, so we don't get the uh, special state bread races. So when you, you're in Indiana, you're in Kentucky, I mean, you're in uh, Arkansas, give us some tips for uh, either of those tracks, or uh, particularly Arkansas, to, to picking out those state bread winners, because sometimes they're, they're a little tough. They're a little tough. So any, uh, any tips for us? <laughs> Arkansas is a little harder. Sometimes it's like you kind of scratch your head after they leave the paddock and say, one of these horses is actually going to win like a $50 exactly. pot. <laughs> yes. But I well, I'm asking say, for your help. <laughs> you just kind of scratch your head and go on. Um, the Martin brothers do extremely well with Arkansas breads. And um, you know what? It's almost like a, I, I sometimes call it a dartboard race because it's wide open. You almost don't look at the morning line because some horses that have never run off the layoff are just going to fly off the TV. Um, there's no rhyme or reason. Even after, you know, a horse might pay $42, I'll go back and look at the PPs and try to figure it out. You know, I know everybody's done that. Say, what did I miss? There's no rhyme or reason. Um, but something very exciting is happening this Friday. We will send out our very first homebred. And Paul claimed a horse several years ago for 75, for 10, I think. She won her next three. We ran out several hundred thousand with her uh, as a race mare. She got claimed. We bought her back to make her a brood mare. And her very first foal is running Friday. So it's extremely special, and I don't care if she wins by a nose or she gets beat 20 lengths. I, I'm just tickled pink. So 
Give me the, the name of the mayor. I'm sure I know the mayor. Who Frank's Officer Gal. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. that horse. Uh, ran here in Kentucky a lot. And, yeah. Uh, I believe yeah. in Kentucky. I mean, she What's could name run... Of the- she could run on broken glass. Her heart was as big as the moon. I mean, she was just such a little superstar. N- not much to her. She was like a little bulldog. The the her little filly, you know, she's small, but she breaks out of the gate like a little bottle rocket. And it's going five and a half. She's on the rail. Um, oh. Which it, which it, if you know if it was six furlongs, uh, maybe not so much. But five and but a half. But five and a five, half. Exactly. So Frankie's moonshine. Super, yep, yep, that's her. So okay. she's by um, Moonshine Mullen, uh, who's trained by Randy Morris, who is Paul's best friend. So uh, just to see her in the paddock is really going to be kind of a full circle moment. And there will be no holding back there. You're gonna, those viewers are going to know you're going to be you're going to be pulling for that horse, right? Is I will. Is, is it... Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's gonna it's gonna be a different. Uh, it's it will be. I've been in the industry for over 25 years. It will be a moment that I have yet to experience, and there's not many of those. Well, we wish you the best of luck, and we'll be watching. I can assure you that. Hey, mate, Nancy. Yeah. What, uh, you know, after so many years of being in the industry and, and wearing a lot of different hats, you know, what, what are you satisfied kind of where, what your routine is today, you know, representing both tracks or, you know, is there something that you still have kind of in the horizon that you're aiming for or, uh, you know, just curious. That's a really good question. Um, part of the, the, the good thing about being at Hollywood Park is that I was one place year round. Right. And part of the reason why I wanted that job is because I was tired of doing the Arkansas Chicago circuit. Um, and, you know, Paul is now in the stage of his life where he's, you know, getting older. I, you know, he's on this side of 60 and, I think we're both kind of ready at one point within the next couple of years to be able to stay in hot springs year round. Yep. You know, the um, weather's better. I'm sure. Yeah. The weather, the weather's <laughs> better, but also to have to maintain almost two residences year round. It's yeah. costly, you know, and moving horses back and forth and it it would just be great if at one point we could be home 12 yep. months a year that would that would be ideal for me yeah i hear we hear that a lot of the same you know assistant trainers and trainers you know shifting different state race in different places i mean it it's it's really hard to manage especially when they shut down the backsides when they got to ship out I mean, I, I can't imagine tearing up or, you know, tearing down and then moving out and then doing the same thing over, you know, two or three times a year. I mean, that's really difficult on on folks, just it, no matter what who you are, what your position is on the backside. So uh, kind of I always have this kind of political question every once in a while. But, you know, with the, within Kentucky, you know, right now, the historical racing and those machines are have been coming under fire and we've got to do some big changes to to laws and i think we even got to maybe amend the constitution to keep historical racing going on what is your take on it i mean 
you've seen these racing circuits change kind of within a short period of time, especially, I don't know how long Oakland's been having gambling and racinos and those types of things, but those purses are just huge. And when they, when they're that big, they draw some, some of the best horses in, in the country. So, you know, what, what do you think Kentucky should do or just other States and, you know, do you, do you fall victim or do you all see that happening a lot? And, uh, you know, who's doing it right? What state's doing it right, you think? Well, I actually think that Arkansas is doing a really good job because we were one of the first, we were the first to do the historical games of racing. And it took years for them to get past. And partially is because we are smack dab in the center of the Bible Belt. And it did get passed, and initially there was just a small room that they kind of boarded up in the grandstand to make room for these machines. Well, the line was out the door to get in this room, and over the course of time, it has grown and grown and grown. And finally, after I don't know how many years, we have just now been able to call it a casino as opposed to electronic games of skill. If you, that's literally what they call it. Um, And we're now able to call it a casino and constantly expanding and just the purses just keep growing. But with that being said, I don't want to see $20,000 claimers running for an $80,000 tag. I think that is going to be the, the ruination of, of racing, you know, good Um, point. I that that's that's one thing that just scares me. Um, you know, the maidens I think are are fine. You know, with like an eighty thousand dollar purse, but I I don't want to see uh you know non two for a nickel running for fifty grand. But yeah. Yeah. I I think at at this point, you know, with sports books, with online, um, the tracks have to do something because. Look at simulcast back in the day. It saved, I mean, it emptied the grandstands back mm-hmm. in the 90s. Arkansas was really in trouble. Our racing was in the 90s. They weren't sure what they were going to do, but the games, the the historical games of racing saved us as an industry in Arkansas. So I think they would really need to take a closer look. And there's always some type of solution. It could be a compromise, but there is a solution. Yeah, limit the areas, you know, don't open it up to a totally brand new market and new investors. And, you know, if they could just give it to the main tracks that have been here that have have really invested. I mean, that's just kind of my opinion. You know, Ellis Park, the even Keeneland, you know, Kentucky Downs is it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, but, but they shut down, I think, the Red Mile. I yeah. And I mean, why would you shut down the Red Mile? Is that, I mean, it, it, there's there's so many things that yeah. don't make sense. And I was having a conversation with uh, an assistant trainer the other day, and we were out on the apron watching, and we, we just were going back and forth. And we said, you know, when we solve all the world's problems in racing, we can, you know, go on vacation. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> that's, it's an everyday conversation. Yeah, yeah. We we often talk about it. There should be like one commissioner over all the tracks, and that sets all the rules. That way, everybody plays under the same game. Because when trainers are shipping horses in, and they got to watch different medications, who gets Lasix, who doesn't now, who's three, who's not two. You know, 
I mean, it's just, it's, you got everybody kind of bouncing around and I I mean, I don't know how the podcast feels, but I'm always big on having one commissioner, one racing regulation. That way everybody kind of knows how to follow the same rules and it not be so different state by state. It's, it's made it really difficult. It seems like for a lot of trainers that ship. Yeah, it it definitely can be. Um, But, you know, now there's uh, certain house rules uh, here at Oaklawn. And when you go to a different track, it's definitely the trainer's responsibility to know what those are. And, you know, when you go state to state, certain medications have have different withdrawal periods that are allowable. I mean, it it is something to, to really have to be conscious and aware of because they are so different so uh yeah if there was just one thing uniformity you know i really thought we were going to get that with the with the rci rmtc rules um but not every state wanted to acknowledge them or recognize them and we're like well okay so much for that you know when a trainer gets a uh, a positive he gets a point or whatever the case may be well if that's the case there's a couple trainers out there that shouldn't be training yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's what's good for the goose isn't good for the gander sometimes. Right. It, so I, I guess, you know, from the racing product of what we see and what, what gamblers bet on, I mean, Oakland's very competitive. I think almost every race is very challenging. You know, some days it's the, the big track names that win. And then it's the next day, it's kind of like the home trainers win. Uh, you know, you, you get everybody that's kind of shipping in, you got the, the Calhoun's asses and the foxes, but then you get a lot of other folks. I mean, it, it's always a wild product. I mean, it's very challenging from a handicapping standpoint. I mean, I think I played a couple different picks on Saturday and Sunday. I I never closed a, closed out a, a bet ever. So you just you never know. But uh, besides Arkansas, what other states do you enjoy watching their product of racing? Um, you know what I like to look out at uh, Santa Anita. Los Alamitos, um, just because those are my old stomping grounds. Um, I'll follow the Kentucky racing. Um, those are, you know, a lot of my Indiana people are at Turfway right now. I've got some good friends that are at Tampa, um, obviously the fairgrounds. So, you know, occasionally I'll go through and read the charts and kind of see how everybody did. I've got friends that uh, represent riders at Sam Houston. Um, so, you know, kind of peruse the charts if you will um but yeah you always kind of have to keep in track of who's doing what and where yeah yeah do you ever watch turfway i do you know what's so funny at night like when we'll have somebody over for dinner uh a lot of times that's the only track that's running so we'll put turfway on rtn and just you know play dollars or something yeah (laughs) yeah it's fun we we enjoy it on the podcast here I love Turfway. All right, Nancy. So I'm embarrassed to admit that I've never been to Oakland. I've been a fan of the sport for Shut 30. Shut your face. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, none, of us, none of us. None of us have. That's true. None of us have. But I, it's Shame. especially egregious for me. I'm, I've been a racing fan for 30-plus years. I've never made it down there. So the big question, we've been kicking around making a, making a road trip down there this year. It, first of all, it, it, would it be possible for, for us to, to even to enter the – enter the building or, or how, how does that work right now with, okay, with the COVID so restrictions? Fans are allowed on a limited basis. So box seat holders got their boxes. Okay. 
the dining dining rooms and all that good stuff are open for fans, but you just have to make a reservation. That's so the only it, restriction. You just have to awesome. you just have to reserve your spot. But see, here's the good thing for you guys: you now know somebody that works there. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's great. We're good. We're good. <laughs> so right. with with the dining room access, though, do, can we get to the track apron or anything like that? Or how? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also, there is a new restaurant in the casino called The Bugler, which has an outdoor patio, which is amazing. Food is phenomenal. Outdoor patio. And hopefully, if you come, I don't know when you're planning on it, but once the weather gets nice, they'll have the infield open as well. And that's really good for people watching. Even this year, they'll have the infield open this year? Oh yeah. Really? Yep. Well, like, well, it will like be on weather. It'll be weather depending. You know, is when they decide to open it. But I, I've heard talk that they're gonna open the infield. Yes. Oh, so my goodness. So if we come to Hot Springs, uh, like, can you give us some advice on a on a hotel to stay at, or can we get close to the track, or, or what, what what do we need to look for? Oh, I, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Well, oh. When are you coming? Well, yeah, I don't know. Whenever they say. No, it depends because you might be able to stay at the hotel. Yep, oh, that's right. Nice. The, the hotel's opening in, Depending in, in the Depending on when you arrive. Yeah. Right, but right. there's amazing hotels in Hot Springs. Hot Springs is known for its hospitality. And you know, obviously COVID has put a little damper on, you know, some of the festivities that go on during the race meet. But this is a town that truly embraces racing. I mean, if you go out to dinner, people are looking at the form. They're talking about the races. TVG is on every TV. Um, they eat, sleep, and breathe Oaklawn during this time of year. That would feel like almost like Saratoga. Because when you're I there, call, I mean, that's I, all that I goes on. I call Saratoga the northern Oaklawn. No kidding. Okay. <laughs> Great. We are not the Southern Saratoga. They are the Northern Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer that description. Definitely. Yeah. But, I mean, people, there really is such a thing as Southern hospitality, and it's here. Um, you know, we've got amazing lakes. You Almost, well, every dark day, jockeys will be hiking up in the mountains on the on the hikes and the trails. All the agents have fishing boats. They're out fishing. I mean, there's so much to do here, and it's one of the most beautiful places that you could go, and it's not expensive either, which is, you know, a really good thing, because, you know, if you went out to L.A. or try to go to Del Mar, you're going to spend, you know, your your kid's college fund going to stay, you know, at some of the higher-end hotels and go to dinner for a weekend, so... Well, do yeah. I go do I go skiing in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, or do I come down to Arkansas Hot Spring? I'm gonna let you decide that. <laughs> <laughs> Political answer. Political answer. Yeah. Nancy, have you ever eaten at the Purple Cow? Yeah. Is that good? I've I've had an adult milkshake. What's that? An alcoholic milkshake. Is it was it good? What do you think? <laughs> I don't I'm know. They're, they're yeah. ice Would you not want fish. an adult milkshake? Really Sounds kind of dirty, to be honest. But yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. See, I approach that with trepidation. I've heard of a few. 
<laughs> no, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, Purple Cow's good. It's like a it's like a burger joint. Okay. Well, that's on the list. So yeah, when we make it down there, we're definitely going there. So oh, uh, no, Nancy, so many good places to go though. Nancy, I've got one more question for you before we let you go. Uh, did you ever get to meet? I'm sure you did. Did you ever get to meet Terry Wallace? You know what? Yeah, I did. And Terry was a very close friend of my dad's and they were tennis partners. Um, I was very honored to, to know Terry and to actually work with him uh, for a year. And he will, he is and will always be to me the voice of Oakland. Mm-hmm. He was an absolute gentleman and the truest ambassador to the sport. He was such a good human being. He really was. Well, I always say, like, I, I got into racing in the late 80s. And one of the few ways we had to connect with the sport was through the announcers. You know, like the yeah. the, the Dave Johnsons and the Tom Durkins. And, yes. And here, Mike Battaglia. And down there, it was Terry Wallace. with a, He had those fantastic, exciting calls, that, you know, when they turned for home. And here they come into the stretch. Short, yep. And that's, you know, that's that's part of, part of the reason I really got into the game at that age, because it was you know, those cool race calls. Yep. And, and he always seemed like a really, really great guy. Yeah, he was he was an amazing ambassador, not only to Oakland, but the city of Hot Springs for all of his community and charity involvement. So, yeah, he's he's very, very missed. That's that's certain. Good. Great guy. All right, Nancy. Well, we're we're so thankful that you you joined us tonight. Uh, We're all big fans of yours. Uh, We definitely wish you luck with uh, Frankie's moonshine on Friday. Thank you. Uh, and we 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 think the world of you. Uh, anybody, uh, Alan or Brandon, you got any last words for Nancy? Two quick things. Two quick things. One, Hot Springs is that Arkansas Razorback country? Absolutely. Y'all. Go Hogs. Are you a Razorback fan? I am inked with a Razorback. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> football football team football team looked pretty good this year. They're I think they're you know on what? the way up after they some dark did, days. Actually- Sam Pittman was at the races Sunday. Was he really? Well, yes, he was. I hope he's there when we come down there because I want to. I want to introduce myself to him. Well, uh, I he did a hell of a, a job this year. I tried to get an interview with him for the Fox Show, but I, he was having a um, a little too much fun. I understand. Good for he him. Was he there to have this year. fun, I should say. He overtook a bad situation. He deserved to have a little fun this year. Am I right? Reach is that not the truth? God, I yes, don't think he's done much worse, but thank Chad God Morris, he did better. Chad Morris ran that in the ground. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, one other, uh, if I had to bet money on in a handy on a one-on-one handicapping contest between you and Rachel, Indiana, who who should I bet on? Oh, you know what? Rachel knows her Indiana breads. Mm-hmm. That's a trick, ain't if it? If it's here, if it's here, I, she's going down. Bet the home team. Gotcha. If it's here, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm gonna be like yes. Khabib. But if it's there, I'd say we. I would, I would say it's a wash. Okay. So overall, though, what you're saying is you've got the edge. Is what that sounds like to me. I think sometimes. But she's really go. good at Indiana. <laughs> but see, I don't have to do all the races at Indiana like she does. So that's true. I don't have to work okay. as hard. I work. Yeah, I, just, I work. I work as hard here but not there and you know as she does 
Okay, I'll bet the home team. I'll bet the home team. When uh, Arkansas bet you. There you go. (laughs) All right. Thank you. All right, so we'll uh, we'll wrap this up here, and uh, I'll say one last thing. Uh, you know, we started this podcast out with a theory, and I think we've proven the theory to be true. Nancy is actually one of the nicest people around, so we're we're very thankful. And and like I said, Nancy, uh, thank you for coming on the pod, and we wish you the best of luck with the uh, future endeavors. Oh, it is my pleasure, guys. Anytime, and I'm I can be a one heck of a one heck of a hostess when you guys head this way. Sounds good. We'll be down there at some point. Thank you, Nancy. Certainly. Thank you, guys. Be well. That concludes another edition of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. If you're listening from Kentucky, across the nation, or around the globe, we're reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.